This episode contains distressing themes. In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com and get up to 15% off your first purchase as a member with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for up to 15% off your first purchase as a member. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical new user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. ...and descriptions of violence. This podcast is intended for a mature audience. Listener caution is advised. A quiet nun in a central Aberdeen cathedral was dealing with some paperwork when she had a visitor. She neither knew the person, nor did she have any way of knowing she wouldn't leave her office alive. Welcome to Season 8, Episode 39 of They Walk Among Us, a podcast dedicated to UK true crime. The striking building on Huntley Street had stood there for over 120 years. Busy from its beginnings as the prominent place of worship in the Catholic Diocese of Aberdeen since 1860, people came and went, and familiar faces filed in for Mass to sit on the wooden pews dressed in their Sunday best. Communions, confessions and confirmations brought even more people to St Mary's Cathedral, along with the attendees of weekly groups and meetings. It was hard, if not impossible, for the clergy or staff members to keep track of the comings and goings of every person who walked through the cathedral's doors. Someone who welcomed visitors in 1988 was Sister Josephine Ogilvie, who was well-liked enough to have her name shortened to Sister Josie by colleagues and parishioners. St Mary's Cathedral isn't the sort of place where you would imagine what police later described as a particularly vicious attack occurring, and Sister Josie, bespectacled with a kindly face, wasn't someone you would necessarily think would be a victim of a violent crime. However, statistics highlight that being a universally recognised member of authority in churches across the country, 
is becoming an increasingly dangerous position. A survey by the Royal Holloway University in London to gather insights into the safety and security of the Anglican clergy was conducted in early 2019. It found that 10% had been a victim of physical violence, 68% experienced verbal abuse, whilst 19% and 10% experienced threatening or violent behaviour respectively. Interestingly, the survey compared male and female experiences. It read in part, Male respondents were more likely to be threatened undertaking pastoral work, whilst women were more likely to be threatened by an active church member or parishioner. The degree of violence that Sister Josie suffered in a place she believed was a sanctuary was almost unparalleled. However, many members of the clergy have frequently been the victims of murder. To name a few, 80-year-old Father Paul Orchard was murdered in a knife attack in the presbytery of the Church of Our Lady and St. Hubert in Oldbury. His killer, Mark Massey, who claimed to have no memory of the incident, received a life sentence in 2000. And in 2012, Stephen Farrow murdered Reverend John Studdarts in Thornbury. At 3pm on Friday, May 6th, 1988, Father Colin Stewart had been unlucky enough to find Sister Josephine Ogilvie. He had seen her earlier at her desk in an office in St. Mary's Cathedral. Sister Josie was dressed in ordinary clothes as she had left her habit at home. Father Stuart and Sister Josie had worked together closely. The priest supported older children and Sister Josie worked with primary school-aged children. Their job took them as far as the Orkney Isles where they held classes in religious studies. A nun in her order said Sister Josie was gifted at teaching and described her as a lovely person. For the last five years, Sister Josie lived with two other nuns in a convent on Dunvegan Avenue in Port Lethin after moving from Edinburgh. 1988 had been a difficult year as her sister had passed away. Furthermore, she was approaching her 60th birthday and was preparing to stand down from her position. The inner office in the cathedral shared by Sister Josie and Father Stuart was used as a hub, where at their workstations, they conducted admin work and prepared material for classes. That afternoon, when Father Stuart tried to enter the room, he could not open the door. Using more force to gain entry, The door didn't feel locked. It felt like someone was behind it. The priest later said, I knew something was wrong because someone inside was resisting the door. As I pushed, he pushed against me. He was holding the door at the other side. Concerned, Father Stewart went to get help. He also asked someone to call the police as he thought the office could be in the process of being burgled. It was at this point that Father Stewart saw a young man using the fire exit and then disappearing over a wall. 
No clothing covered the top half of his body, and the man appeared to be holding a bundle of stained fabric under his arm as he left the cathedral grounds. When Father Stewart returned to the office, the door could be easily opened. When he entered the room, it was in disarray. Furniture had been smashed, and documents and religious materials were strewn about the office. Sister Josie was not at her workstation. She was unresponsive on the ground. No attempt had been made to hide her body or cover her modesty as she lay in the dark crimson of her blood. She was alive but barely clinging on, which was remarkable considering the condition she was left in. Elderly caretaker Felix Graham had accompanied Father Stewart. He recalled, We went upstairs, and she was lying naked and her arms outspread. She looked as if she had been crucified. Father Stewart tried to shake her awake. He cradled her and said, Josie, Josie, Josie. When he took his hands away, they were covered in blood. Despite the shock and being surrounded by blood in a ransacked room, Father Stewart composed himself so he could say a prayer of absolution for Sister Josie. It was hard to fathom what had happened and who would want to harm her. Sadly, following such a brutal attack, Sister Josephine Ogilvie couldn't hold on, and she took her final breath. Just after three o'clock in the midst of the school run, Huntley Street was suddenly swarmed with emergency vehicles as the drivers wound their way through the busy streets. To the surprise of Father John Simon, who was washing his car outside the cathedral, the siren stopped nearby and paramedics rushed inside. Over 100 officers were deployed to comb the crime scene and surrounding area. Some of Sister Josie's bloody clothes were found discarded in a bush. The cathedral is located in the town centre near busy shopping streets and a hectic train station. With the substantial foot traffic in and around the religious building, the possibilities as to who killed the devoted nun were endless, but whoever committed the brutal attack was a very dangerous person who needed to be apprehended. As many people as possible were questioned in the immediate area from shopkeepers to office workers. A young man had been seen fleeing the cathedral approximately 30 minutes after he was thought to have arrived. A description of the suspect was released. He appeared to be in his 20s, had fair hair, was well built and looked unkempt. He had a silver-coloured piercing through his nose. When he fled the scene, he was bare-chested with what was described as punk-style clothing covering the lower half of his body. As evidence from the crime scene was gathered, an incident room was set up in the cathedral. No stone was unturned. Crowds of commuters were observed, there was a strong police presence at Aberdeen train station. Bishop Mario Conti, the Roman Catholic Archbishop of Aberdeen, 
was tasked to go to St Mary's to talk to the clergy and the police. Describing Sister Josie as a woman with considerable character, the bishop said, Any attack on human life appalls me, but when it takes place within my own cathedral, when it touches someone dedicated to God in a place dedicated to God, it makes it all the more pointed and wicked. This will shock the whole Catholic community and beyond. Investigating officers were keen to learn if the nun was the intended target or if she was the victim of a random attack. The day after her death, some national newspapers printed a paragraph or two about a nun who had been murdered in Aberdeen, identifying her as Sister Josephine Ogilvie. Local newspapers took more of a keen interest. Her housemates at the convent, Sister Annie Mackey and Sister Catherine McCluskey, were stunned by the sudden and violent loss of someone they called a friend. Bishop Mario Conti also told reporters, I can only express my horror and disbelief. I knew Sister Josephine well and she was a dedicated member of a religious order and she was dedicated to the development of religious education. The bishop expressed his belief that the killing in such a religious place offended the sacredness of life and the church itself. Sister Josie was popular and polite with neighbours at Port Lethin. Mrs Doherty said, As a neighbour she was ideal. She always spoke when she went past. She was a very pleasant person. Local children who practice religion would often visit Sister Josie at home to see her outside teaching hours. The general consensus was that she was a devoted and kind person. Sister Josephine Ogilvie's life had been cut short in a terrible way. She was believed to have died from a fractured larynx. The killer showed no mercy as she lay dying, sexually abusing her and mutilating her body. Part of Sister Josie's ear had been hacked off, ribs were broken along with her spine, and she suffered numerous stab wounds. Thankfully, it wasn't long before a suspect was in custody. He had been apprehended quickly after the guest house he was staying in was surrounded. Once officers got inside, they found the suspect washing bloodstained clothing in a sink, and more discoloured clothing was found in the communal washing machine. In a terse announcement, a police spokesperson told the press, The man has been arrested, and a report is being submitted to the procurator fiscal. The suspect was only 23 years old. On May 6th, he had been day drinking at bars near the cathedral. He did not have a job, although it was unlikely he was capable of getting, let alone keeping one, due to his erratic behaviour. Using drugs and drinking at any time of the day was not unusual for Mark Reynolds. The young man had entered the cathedral that day requesting to see the small nun that was a social worker. 
the volunteer he spoke to detected a liver partly an accent. Reynolds was asked to sit in the waiting room outside Sister Jose's office, although he had been sent to visit Sister Mary, who fit the description Reynolds gave more accurately. Sister Mary was not at work that day, and Sister Josie was unlucky enough to be the first person available to speak to Reynolds. Father Stewart was taken to the police station to see if he could identify the young man he saw leaving the cathedral. The youthful appearance of Mark Reynolds, whom the priest identified in a lineup, surprised him. Father Stewart later said, What I expected to see was a maniac, but what I saw was a young lad very much as I remembered him. He was just tired and looking at the door. Reynolds first appeared at Aberdeen Sheriff Court on Monday, May 9th. His counsel, Louise Sutherland, put forward no plea or declaration at the time. He was required to return the next week and remained in custody until the next hearing. In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches and fine jewellery, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com and get up to 15% off your first purchase as a member with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for up to 15% off your first purchase as a member. You should celebrate yourself every day. But some days, you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at Burrow.com slash ACAST. That's Burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. This episode of They Walk Among Us is brought to you in association with Centair. Ever entered a seemingly perfect space only to feel like something was missing? That's where Centair comes in. With over three decades of experience, Centair leads the scent marketing industry, scenting resorts, retail outlets, event spaces and more, partnering with major brands like Westin Hotels and Snap Fitness. Chances are you've already encountered their fragrances firsthand. And now Centair is offering you a luxury fragrance experience in the comfort of your home. Visit Centair.com to explore their online store and infuse your spaces with unforgettable scents. 
Scent air diffusers are sleek and fill your space with vivid fragrance for up to 300 hours. And the Scentair app lets you schedule your fragrance and control your intensity right from your phone. What's more, all of Scentair's more than 60 fragrances are phthalate-free, cruelty-free, safe for families and EcoVad is certified sustainable. Differentiate your space with scent. Try luxury home fragrance trusted by the pros by going to Scentair.com and using promo code Among Us for an extra 25% off your first order. That's promo code Among Us for an extra 25% off your first order at Centair.com. Drug addiction contributed to Mark Reynolds' unsettling behaviour, along with his fascination for ninja karate killers. The 23-year-old lived alone in a room in a guest house on D Place in Aberdeen. He was born in Merseyside in the mid-1960s, and was predominantly brought up in Bootle. In 1978, when their oldest child, Mark, was in his early teens, the Reynolds family relocated to Aberdeen in Scotland. A neighbour in Bootle remembered the family of five as being nice and normal, but recalled Mark Reynolds running away before the move to Scotland. The father of the family, Arthur, had got a new job nearby on an oil rig. In Aberdeen, Reynolds soon began sniffing glue and taking drugs, including LSD. As he grew, it was clear he had a mental illness. His parents feared for the safety of their two younger children being around their older brother's unpredictability, drug-taking and violence. Reynolds was also racking up a criminal record for minor offences, including theft. He started sofa surfing, then squatting, floating from property to property, resorting to unusual places to stay like cupboards and building lobbies, whatever accommodation was cheap or preferably free. One previous landlord of a guest house requested that Reynolds leave the premises after he was practising karate on a radiator and in the process burst a water pipe. A married couple who were previously his landlords for a time came forward to explain the difficulties they faced when they welcomed Mark Reynolds into their home and business. Some guests would come and go from the guest house, but some people at a loose end stayed much longer. Reynolds was one of those people. Breakfast was provided between certain times in the morning. Reynolds would appear where it was served in the dining room long after the other residents had finished their meal. It was noted that cutlery was never used, even when Reynolds ate a full-fried breakfast. This in itself wasn't a problem, just a mere eccentricity, but more pressing issues began to bother the other guests. Body odour lingered throughout the premises, in rooms Reynolds had been staying in and the shared spaces. The landlady made a mental note of the absence of all toiletries in his room. Loud music and intense staring made for a strained atmosphere, but the proprietors were kind to the young man and extended his stay on three separate occasions, upon desperate pleas from Reynolds' mother, Stella. 
Mr Davidson, who ran the guest house with his partner, said of his former tenant, He was a very strange lad, but I would say he was driven by the need for affection. He just used to spend his days lying on his bed like a vegetable. In a way, I felt sorry for him because I never got the impression he was stupid. He maybe just needed someone to give him a good cuddle. Although in his youth Mark Reynolds had been an altar boy, he had since changed his beliefs and began conducting satanic rituals. An upside-down cross was worn around his neck, a sign of rebellion against his strict Catholic upbringing. A skateboard was his frequent mode of transport, and Reynolds wanted to be seen randomly performing backflips and high kicks. He made sure he was heard too, with his ghetto blaster playing at full volume in public. If he had been unrecognisable on the busy streets, it might have been easier to blend in when fleeing St Mary's Cathedral as he escaped through an emergency exit and jumped over a wall. However, before the attack, you couldn't miss him, as Mark Reynolds, dressed in his ninja headband, was a common sight around the city. Reynolds' parents had been desperate to help their boy when he was younger. He finally saw a psychiatrist and in turn received a diagnosis. There were high hopes that his life would improve from there on in, but that didn't happen. Reynolds had been diagnosed with schizophrenia six years earlier back in 1982, but he didn't always take his medication, nor accept the help offered. The use of illegal drugs which he started taking at the age of 14 amplified and distorted his worsening behaviour. One night before he sought out Sister Josie, he allegedly laid in bed listening to Anarchy in the UK, a song by the punk band The Sex Pistols, repeating the line, I am an antichrist, over and over again. Sometimes he would tell people he was the reincarnation of the band's former bassist, Sid Vicious. Vicious had died of a drug overdose in 1979, after allegedly murdering his girlfriend Nancy Spungen in 1978. Reynolds' friends had witnessed a change in his behaviour. Symptoms of his schizophrenia were getting worse, and he became more and more volatile. He was quick to anger and was consumed by paranoia. An acquaintance later recalled that he had witnessed an incident when he was with Reynolds, a situation that was mildly unsettling at the time but would come to make sense after Sister Jose's death. A group of nuns had walked by the young men, and Reynolds made a comment that he thought they were staring at him because he was a punk. Speaking about Reynolds, Alfie Lowe said, He hated religion and religious people. He said he was the last of the white ninja and claimed he was a martial arts expert. Mark Reynolds and a friend had been accused of robbing an elderly man. They were waiting for the outcome of that investigation when Sister Josie was killed. However, according to those who knew him, there was another side to Reynolds. 
He was seen helping a young boy who was having an epileptic fit in public, and when not on drugs, Reynolds was also said to be sensitive, but this side of him was overshadowed by untreated mental illness and addiction. Reynolds scared people, including his ex-girlfriend. A reporter for the Aberdeen Evening Press detailed how the relationship became too much for the young woman when her partner was blurring the lines between fact and fantasy. He also made a concerning admission to her when Reynolds claimed that he had exposed his genitals to a woman passing by. He had a fixation on a specific type of woman, someone described as older and heavy-set. Sister Josie was said to fit that description. Upon hearing what their son was accused of, Mark Reynolds' parents were in turmoil. When his mother learned of the killing, she was heartbroken and told friends, I would have willingly given my life in place of Sister Josephine. In fact, Reynolds' mother had been familiar with the parishioners in St. Mary's Cathedral. It was a place she attended every Sunday. Her husband, Arthur Reynolds, told the Aberdeen Press and Journal, The truth will come out in court, and that is all we are interested in. As far as we are concerned, people can draw their own conclusions. A local paper then ran with the headline, the punk who thought he was evil. Mark Reynolds was taken to what was then Craig Inch's prison. It took days for him to process what he had done, but he then told the warden, I got up this morning and realised that I was a murderer, that I had strangled someone. Mark Reynolds' sentencing hearing was held at the High Court in Aberdeen, just three months after Sister Josephine Ogilvie was killed at St Mary's Cathedral. The Crown accepted Reynolds' plea of guilty to culpable homicide by reason of diminished responsibility. Reynolds also admitted to two serious sexual offences as he bit off the victim's nipple and repeatedly bit her on the legs, buttocks and groin. The court was told that Reynolds had schizophrenia and he consumed narcotics, which worsened the symptoms of his condition. In Mark Reynolds' case, it was argued the combination of the two added to his desire for violence. His preference for wearing a cross upside down and listening to anti-establishment punk music was mentioned, and came across unfavourably, as did his interest in ninjas. He had attempted to learn karate, but it wasn't a hobby he stuck with, practising for only a month before retreating into fantasy, wearing clothing he thought ninjas would wear. Reynolds spent what little money he had on drugs and folding butterfly knives. Kevin Drummond QC Prosecuting said... It is abundantly clear that Sister Josephine was subjected to an attack of the most horrific degree of violence, an almost barbaric attack. The advocate deputy continued, 
It is clear from that violence that this young man is of an extremely violent disposition. Drummond detailed the extent of the attack to the court. Sister Josephine Ogilvie had tried to fend off her assailant, but she sustained over 60 injuries, some minor-like bruising, others more serious. They included repeated stabbing with scissors, mutilation of her rear and breast, eight fractured ribs, and a fractured spine caused by Reynolds jumping up and down on her body. According to the advocate depute, the type of injuries the nun sustained was similar to those found in a serious road collision. Two psychiatrists gave evidence describing the symptoms of Reynolds' schizophrenia. One witness, Dr. Raymond Antebi, said that the beliefs held by the defendant were bizarre, and he was unable to distinguish between right and wrong. It was revealed that the defendant's parents had wanted a detention order put in place on their son long before the killing so that he could be cared for in a psychiatric hospital, but that never happened. The court was told that after he was caught... Reynolds said he lost his head while speaking to Sister Josie. Father Stewart, who had been profoundly affected after finding Sister Josie, showed sympathy toward the defendant. He had seen Reynolds fleeing the scene carrying bloody clothing, some of his own and some that belonged to Sister Josie. When he took the stand, the priest said... This young man deserves nothing but compassion. It would be perverse and disgraceful for us to be unkind to him and his family. Mark Reynolds' counsel could offer no more than a few words when describing how unwell Reynolds was at the time of the killing. He simply said, My client is very ill indeed. For ending the life of Sister Josephine Ogilvie, Mark Reynolds was sent to Carstairs State Psychiatric Hospital without limit of time. Detective Chief Superintendent Norman McCormack, who headed the police inquiry, said, In my 25 years of service, I have never seen a more bloodthirsty and brutal crime. I was appalled by the scene of death and I know my colleagues felt the same, but we just had to get on with the job of tracking down the killer. So where are we now? A vigil was held outside St Mary's Cathedral the day after Sister Josephine Ogilvie was killed. A funeral was held soon after. Father Stewart was rattled by the brutal killing and he needed time away. He went to work in Rome. Mark Reynolds' mother Stella still attended the cathedral and prayed for both her son and sister Josie using the deceased nun's rosary beads. They were given to her when she returned to services. 
Subsequently, the Reynolds family went on to set up two guest houses in central Aberdeen. Sister Josie's colleagues remembered her in a requiem mass held a year after her death. Father John Simon, who was outside St Mary's Cathedral when emergency services arrived, led the service and recalling the funeral said, The memory is still very hurtful and people are still very sad. 250 people attended. They were encouraged to forgive and pity Mark Reynolds. Sister Josephine Ogilvie was buried in Allen Vale Cemetery, a Victorian place of rest in Aberdeen. The large cross headstone is shared with at least 13 other nuns. Her name was one of the last to be engraved. It is inscribed, Of your charity, pray for the repose of the souls of the religious of the Sacred Heart. Small bouquets of faux flowers were laid at the gravesite. Bleached by the sun and surrounded by wild foliage, the flowers faded as will the traumatic memories of what happened to Sister Josephine Ogilvie. Thank you for listening, and special thanks to our patrons for their support. For more information on this episode... Please see the show notes or visit our website, theywalkamonguspodcast.com. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.